Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. And hey, we're back. We are back for episode 27. So you say. I do say. The uh, pestilence of Apocalypse's Four Horsemen has visited the Avenging Mansion. There may be a little bit of coughing and sniffling throughout this podcast. We're going to have to take a lot of pauses to edit things out, aren't we? I'm so, yes, one one word at a time. I'm so sorry. If we'd done this like two days ago, I'd have had a great, deep, very, very white voice. You hey. don't now? Hey. <laughs> I think you should talk like that the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, previously on the Avenging Hour, did you hear that? I did like a Bobby Brady. Previously on the Avenging Hour, someone leaked the mansion's security secrets to the Masters of Evil. But who would do such a thing? The proverbial butler did it. Yes, Jarvis, that balding lump of vanilla pudding, turned traitor and got the Avengers shoved into an experimental H-bomb flying high over Manhattan. But Black Knight came to the rescue, saved the heroes, and made sure most of the villains escaped, including their leader, Ultron 5. And now, episode 27. Which begins with Avengers, number 56, from August of 1968. Another Roy Thomas, John Buscema story called Death Be Not Proud. Night. Our four avenging heroes stand outside a castle, and they stand there, still standing. No action is happening. Finally, Goliath declares that if a trap were to be sprung on them, it would have already happened since they've been standing around and not doing anything for quite some time. He also explains that the Avengers are here because they received a summons from Captain America, urging them to come to this castle. Goliath throws the Black Panther over the castle's walls, and the African acrobat then lowers the drawbridge for the rest of the team. Entering the castle, the foursome spot a figure and quickly capture it. Said figure turns out to be Captain America. The Avengers are thrilled to find their old partner here, or at least they were thrilled until Cap starts going on and on again about Bucky. Oy vey, didn't he drop this shtick like 40 issues ago? Cap has gone off his medication and now ponders whether or not Bucky might still be alive. After all, if Cap survived the explosion of the plane on which he and Bucky were clinging, might Bucky have survived also? Cap explains that the castle in which the Avengers now stand was Doctor Doom's original castle when he first fought the Fantastic Four. During their first fateful fight, Doom utilized a time machine, and apparently neither Doom nor Reed Richards thought it was important to clamp some kind of security down on that futuristic technology because the time machine is still here. Cap wants to use it to go back to the past to see if Bucky is alive, and he wants the Avengers to come with him. Well, the real Avengers at least. Wasp can remain behind to activate the time machine, which may not be a good idea as she doesn't understand machines like a man does. Still, the Avengers agree to Cap's plan, and soon the manly foursome are waving goodbye to the Winsome Wasp and traveling back in time. They emerge in the past, in England in the waning days of World War II, but as ghosts able to see and experience what's happening, but helpless to intervene. They see Cap's old foe Baron Zemo, as he prepares to steal an experimental drone plane with the help of a giant robot he brought with him. However, just at that minute, the Captain America and Bucky of this time period crash through the window, intent on stopping Zemo's evil scheme. The two heroes fight Zemo and his android, but the heroes are overcome. Zemo dresses the heroes in normal army uniforms to explain why they were dressed that way during the flashback in Avengers number 4, a... I mean, because he doesn't feel they deserve the honor of dying in their costumes or some such nonsense, and then he ties them to the drone plane he is stealing. He's going to send the plane to Berlin, figuring the crash at the end will kill them. The wind resistance along the way will kill them? I'm not entirely sure his plan makes sense. Speaking of things that make no sense, the Wasp is dozing off back in 1968, and as she falls into slumberland, she hits a button on the time machine console, a button which makes the time-traveling Avengers in World War II suddenly materialize fully in that time. Why do we even have that button? Zemo activates a second android and the fight is on. Some regular army men hearing the commotion stumble into the fight, but Goliath removes them from harm's way as the action continues. These two army men go and get the rest of their company, and 
and soon the area is crawling with the army, who have no idea who the Avengers are. Captain America notices that his past self is waking up and trying to change history. He frees his past self and Bucky from their bonds. However, the World War II era heroes, seeing the drone plane taking off, chase after it anyway, jumping on board just as it leaves the ground, with Cap falling off and Bucky hanging on until the drone plane explodes. Modern day Cap is furious, but the Avengers are fading away back to their time, so Cap can do nothing but watch his friend die for a second time. It's sad, but at least we have put the Bucky question to bed, and we know that he is definitively dead forever and ever. The end. So, our roll call is Goliath, Wasp, Hawkeye, Black Panther, and Captain America. Our villain is Baron Zemo, and we also see Bucky. The title of this issue, Death Be Not Proud, is uh, Sonnet 10, a uh, 14-line poem, or sonnet, by English poet John Donne, who was born in 1572 and died in 1631. One of the leading figures in the metaphysical poets of 16th century English literature. It's included as one of the 19 sonnets that comprise Donne's holy sonnets or divine meditations. Would you like to hear it? Nope. I have the whole thing right I don't want to hear any of them. Holy Sonnet 10. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so, for those whom thou thinkst Thou just overthrow. I'm done. I don't care. There's a lot of vowels in there. Well, it's from the 1600s. Almost as confusing as this timeline thing that we just did in this episode. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, what do you think about the issue? What do you have to say? Let's start from the beginning. Okay. So, they're at this castle because Captain America told them to go to this castle and meet him. Yes. Goliath throws the black guy over the wall. (laughs) I'm fine with that. Whatever, he's acrobatic. But then Black Panther points out a mine in the walkway that Goliath is about to step on. Did Captain America come in that same way? (laughs) Why is there only one mine on the walkway? That seems like some really poor planning. This whole castle has its problems because, as I mentioned in the in the summary, Reed Richards knows this is here. Yes, he's just going to leave a time machine in I, this castle. Yeah, in that the was my nowhere? that was my third note. So, oh, I'm sorry. So, so Doctor Doom abandoned his castle but left his time machine behind, and Reed Richards knew it was there and just went, "That's ah, fine. Don't worry yeah, about it." Nobody will go in. I mean, I recognize it. Maybe, maybe Reed Richards is the one that put the mine out front. <laughs> I recognize it's a castle and the drawbridge is up, but this isn't the Marvel universe. There's a lot of people that can fly or jump over a wall, right? I mean. Maybe the neighborhood kids wouldn't get at it, but there's somebody that would. And then when they first get inside, Black Panther notices some movement behind a tapestry, and it's Captain America. And they say, why were you hiding? And the dialogue is awesome. Captain America says, I wasn't hiding. I just didn't hear you coming. Says the guy who was lurking in the dark between a tapestry and a stone wall. Like, what else was he doing back there? <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Do, do I want to know if he was needed think- some alone time? Or? He was thinking of Bucky. I mean, <laughs> we don't want to know what he was doing behind the tapestry. He didn't have a towel with him, so he needed the tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we move on to the time machine with with its chrono square. Is that what the thing's called that they stood on? Yes, yes, the chrono square, which is, uh, is that's what they use with this time machine. Makes sense. No, oh, it doesn't. <laughs> wait, I'm sorry, wait. I wrote down, no, it doesn't. Uh, that's the, None of the science here makes sense. I should also point out this time machine. The castle, but when we saw this castle in Fantastic Four number four, when it first appeared with Doctor Doom, it burned at the end of the issue. The castle, like, burns. Well, it is made of stone. Maybe all just the wood parts burned. But wouldn't the time machine have burned or be destroyed by the fire? It went back in time. Long uh, pause. <laughs> I, also, I also like when, when they're talking here and, and um, Captain America's like, guess I was too deep in thought. Thoughts about Bucky. <laughs> yeah. Bucky, but he's dead. Is, is he, he, Hank? Is he? Is, yes, you whack job. He's dead. 
Oh, my stars and garters. I still have his costume in my closet. He's not dead. And, and Captain America's like, Reed Richards mentioned this. Why were they hanging out? What was this like at the poker game? And he's like, by the way, have I ever told you about the time machine that's right over the Hudson River? We get that a lot in these next few issues. People mentioning things to other people. I uh, I, I want to know why they put Jan in charge of picking the controls. Yes. Goliath explains to her that she has to move some things every once in a while to keep them alive. And she can't even do that. I know. This is not the Wasp's finest hours, and she's had a lot of not finest hours, but this is one of the worst. So then they go back in time, and they're ghosts. They're observers of time, I guess. And so they're basically inside a film strip in history class in middle school. And we see Baron Zemo dressed as uh, Mr. Plow. (laughs) Seriously, why why does he have winter boots on? What is he doing? (laughs) It looks, he does look toasty. It's really strange. Zemo has a gun that enlarges androids when he shoots at a box. But it also is able to shoot, I guess, regular beams or bullets? Or is it the bullets that actually make the androids grow? <laughs> and why have we never seen... We, Baron Zemo fought the Avengers a couple of times in the future. We never saw this kind of technology. Those kind of androids would have been helpful sure. when he was trying to kill the Avengers. But we never see them. Why is that? I don't know. Did this technology get lost in the next 30 years? I don't know why that is even technology to begin with. How do people make androids? Like, everyone knows how to make an android. You'd think that, you know, life would be much easier. There'd be no housewives because they'd all have teams of androids doing the... The cleaning and the cooking and the... Why does no one... They, Zemo didn't have to be a villain. He could have just mass-marketed his android-growing machine and made billions of dollars. It's a wonderful thing that they talk about in... Um, I've seen it mentioned a couple times in comics. Well, you'll get one of these supervillains that makes this amazing suit. And, you know, the hero will be like, Why are you stealing money? You just built this thing. <laughs> right. That's pretty much your design. Pretty much every villain in Marvel, isn't what? it? Everyone that's an inventor, even Living Laser, I'm sure he could have sold that technology to the military right. and made billions of dollars like Tony Stark. Or he could have gone into, uh, he could have gotten work as a costume designer. <laughs> well, clearly. Um, what or else do I have? Or you, you mentioned in your synopsis that Zemo arbitrarily changes uh, Captain America and Bucky's clothes. <laughs> yeah, so stupid. And and so, why didn't they just have them show up in their military uniform? Because when they pulled Cap out of the Arctic in the block of ice, what did he have on? I'm trying he to remember. He had military uniform on over his Captain He had the remnants of a military uniform on over his Captain America outfit. And he didn't have his cowl on. That's why they didn't know who he was, because they just saw Steve Rogers. Yeah. So why wasn't he... Why we're we're going to talk <laughs> about this a little bit more over the over the next couple of issues. This The next issue that we talk about, and next week's episode as well. And we're not going to talk about it today? The reason, <laughs> sorry. I don't have a lot going on here. We're only uh, I'm, 13 uh, minutes into the episode. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm organizing my phlegm. The problem with this story, time travel stories are always iffy. They're mm. always problematic because there's so many things that can go wrong. They make this one needlessly complicated, as we'll see over the next, what, two issues? Yeah. The real problem here, I think, is that Roy Thomas is playing with past stories and continuity. And so there are certain things that have to be in place or people are going to say, well, that doesn't line up with what we've seen before. Right. So he is doing backflips to try and tell a story that fits in between the panels of other stories. And it causes these ridiculous complications that I don't think he would have gotten into if he wasn't trying so hard. Yeah, it seems like there were easier ways to solve these little details. Maybe, but it, it 
This is the this is the first time we've seen it in the Avengers, and I don't know where where this exactly fits in with with Roy Thomas's career, but God knows that this will become a Roy Thomas trademark. This is the first time we see his obsession with continuity. Yeah, um, that he's really gone to these to this extent in an Avengers comic. The stuff where he's got to explain like why does Zemo have that watch on his right wrist? And stuff? Yes, <laughs> and it will get it will get horrible. The fact where, in my opinion, in the eighties for DC, Roy Thomas is writing series. That are nothing but continuity, just encyclopedia entries. <laughs> yeah, they're not. He's not telling stories anymore. He's just untangling continuity, just explaining things. Yeah, and that to me is a shame because you should be telling a story. That's sure. what the whole. That's what it's about. Um, as we pointed out, Jan had one job, one job, and she fell asleep doing it. And probably killed everybody. Yeah. I don't know. Though you can tell, as this story goes on, you can tell that there seems to be some kind of intelligence guiding these events. Like, even when she does fall asleep, the the book makes it very clear that there's something going on. Yeah, she's like, why am I suddenly so tired? It's as if some power was overwhelming me. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, we get the idea that even Captain America's, you know, I've been thinking of Bucky. You get the idea that there is, that there's a plan, there's an intelligence behind this, and we'll learn more about that in, in, in the annual, which we'll talk about next. Yeah, it's some, it's some pretty heavy-handed foreshadowing I guess but I but I do think the foreshadowing's there yeah, it needs to be there yeah because otherwise it, I mean you the wasp looks bad enough as it is if you don't give some explanation for why she fell asleep then she's gonna look absolutely horrible my, my biggest problem with this issue is the very end where Cap comes to the resolution that yep Bucky's definitely dead I, what did he see happen that convinced him like 100% that Bucky's like he didn't actually see Bucky's body blow into pieces he didn't see anything happen that he might not have already seen before I mean he falls off the plane first he can't really see what happens and nothing's any different from like you said issue 4 when it happens so how is he suddenly like, well that's all I needed to see that's the definition of dead the problem with this story is and again I recognize you could say this for any story because they're all made up stories but it's completely pointless it's all just set up it's all set up for the annual yeah um, and not very good setup no, for the it's... annual I do kind of like the moral at the end which is that you can't change the past because I think that being able to change the past is dangerous for stories for a storyteller because if you if they had proven that you could change the past well why isn't everybody hopping into the time machine and going back to change the things that they don't like. That would be a funny story if everybody did that. <laughs> things are just constantly changing. But yeah, there's a lot about this issue that doesn't quite work. That's all I got. Yeah, I think we can move on. We'll have we'll we can talk about this a little bit more in the annuals. In, in the bullpen bulletins, they mentioned that TV Guide did a story on Marvel. Mar- and they say that they sell 50 million books a year. It's a lot of comics. Uh, I uh, I don't have a problem with that number. No, no, it's it's probably relatively accurate. Yeah, certainly more than they are selling now. <laughs> yeah, they also run a letter somewhere here saying that if anybody wants to write uh, letters to lonely GIs, uh, they can do it and they give an address that they can send them to, which I think is a very nice thing for Marvel to do. The Marvel Pen Pal program, pretty much, but one specifically for for people in the service. Stan Soapbox, uh, he's talking about how Marvel gets asked their opinions on various issues, but he says there. Is is no one opinion. The bullpen is full of different types of people. You got your Democrats, you got your Republicans, and you got those people, like Stanley himself, who like to go by the person, not the party. He says that's why they don't talk about these kind of issues in the comics, because they all feel differently. But there's one thing they all agree on, and that is that humans should be treated with tolerance and respect, regardless of race, creed, or color, not gender. Because women... They got no business. Well, Flo's not there anymore, right? Yeah. Doing things men do. 
But he does he does say race, creed, or color. I just thought that was amusing that he doesn't mention gender. The 60s. And I got nothing until we get to the letters page, which I really have nothing except to note that Peter Sanderson writes another letter. Yep, that's all I got, too. He yeah. has another letter printed. Uh, he makes a note that Beast is stronger than Black Panther. As I was reading his letter, I thought, you know, you can almost hear the gears turning in his head as he's preparing to write the, the official Marvel handbook stuff. That's it. It's, yeah. it's not much of an issue. Really. It really isn't. So uh, my MVP would be Goliath, just because he seems to be pulling the most weight yes, in the Android fight. I, I said the same. Obviously useless character. Five in a row. It's Wasp. And here's what really gets me. So she's not allowed to do anything this issue. Not only does she fall asleep doing the one job she was given, but she's completely left out of the adventure and left back home to play with the machines. Why didn't she lower the drawbridge? Goliath right, throws the Black fly. Panther. <laughs> she can fly. Just fly over there. Lower the drawbridge. Well, they did point out that when Black Panther got to the, the gear thing that worked, the drawbridge, that it was rusty and hard to push on. So well, I guess they figured girl, out, yeah, so. girl couldn't do that. Uh, she could have zapped it with her useless wasp stings. Uh, is this an Avengers level threat? There is no threat. I mean, if it's Baron Zemo and his robots, the answer is no. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no threat, really. They there really isn't. They kind of skirmish a little bit with those androids, but no. Deal. Again, it's kind of a nothing issue. <laughs> I wrote down, there's no threat posed at the, in this book at all except maybe complacency. I don't, I don't, know, <laughs> don't know what I meant by that. But. Is complacency an Avengers level threat? <laughs> yes, actually it is. So, final grade? I gave it a D. It was stupid. I, so I'm, I'm kind of conflicted because the basic plot, I'm enough of a geek that the idea of going back into the past and looking at these characters in the past is kind of interesting. And seeing the modern day Avengers in World War II dealing with people who don't know who they are is kind of interesting. But the backflips and the contortions that they have to go through to make this plot work are so glaringly obvious that I feel like they take away from the issue. So I gave it a C. I liked it slightly more than you did. You're, you usually like the things more than I do. Um, all right. Yeah. That's it for that. Now, Now the next one is, this is going to take a while. We need some extra time for this one. It's going to take a while. Right? Because it's an annual. Yeah, it's like an extra third of a page longer than my normal synopsis. This is Avengers Annual number two from, it says, September of 1968, which would make sense because that was August, and this is a direct sequel to the issue we just read. It's actually King Size Special number two. Good point. Good point. They're not called, still I know not they, called annuals. They do call it annuals now, but you're right. Back then, they were specials. It was the King Size Special. 25 cents. For it's a big whopping... Twice as many pages, twice as many thrills. Well, yeah. <laughs> twice as maybe 10% more. So, who, who's writing this one? It, uh, I don't know. It's Roy Thomas, right? And it's Don Heck on art? Don Heck and Werner Roth. Oh, right, Werner And Rock. the backup strip is by John Buscema. What's the backup strip? Is that that... Oh, yeah. yeah we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, so, this one has two parts. The first part is called... And time, the rushing river. You know, I looked that up because I know you like to see if it's quotes from any... It's not. I couldn't it's find it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, right? I looked title. and looked and looked. Okay, let's start with part one of this amazing adventure. Let's start with part two. Back from that senseless visit to the past where they sort of screwed up history, the Avengers are amazed to be walking the streets of New York and having bypassers gawk at them like they're ghosts. Wasp thinks something is going on because her women's intuition is buzzing. Or maybe that's just her alarm clock waking her from another noontime nap. The team finds their way back to Avengers Mansion only to discover that they're already there. Sort of. The original Avengers are none too happy to see these new intruders and, of course, as the original Avengers always did, they picked a fight with each other. We're somehow to believe that Cap could hold his own against Thor, and Black Panther has a chance against Hulk. Meanwhile, Goliath and Wasp face off against themselves, which is just a bunch of awkward failure. Uh, with Hawkeye using some smoke arrows and Goliath blocking the trail with some heavy machinery, 
Our modern-day heroes are able to escape to a subway tunnel running underneath the mansion. While they regroup, the original team gets a visit from someone called the Scarlet Centurion, who tells the team to kill the others. When Hulk balks at this command, the glowing red guy tells everyone to just hang tight until he comes back. Don't understand what's going on. Uh, meanwhile, our newer team has finally figured out that the whole time machine fiasco probably screwed something up. Goliath remembers that he helped work on some giant computer called the Paratatron <laughs> that was developed to record all historical data. Yeah, that seems feasible. All he has to do is jack into it and download the problem black hat style. The team sneaks into the research center and gets to work. Cap volunteers to absorb the info because he's a tough guy, and Goliath will operate the controls because no one wants Jan anywhere near a machine stronger than a hairdryer. Cap is shown a flashback to the Avengers right after their encounter with Space Phantom way back in issue 2, but in this version, as Hulk is about to leave the team, the Scarlet Centurion appears and basically tells the team that they have to murder every other superpowered person on the planet or the world will explode. Then we're treated to a cool 80s montage with Dayglow graphics and a wicked sax solo as the Avengers mash their way through the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Submariner, Doctor Strange, S.H.I.E.L.D., wait, they have superpowers? Daredevil, and a who's who of early Marvel villains. With nearly all the interesting characters out of the way, the team takes to the airwaves and threatens the world's governments not to do any more nuclear testing or sciencey things that may spawn new so super folk, or else. Well, darn it. Captain America isn't feeling hunky-dory about all that, so the team springs into action. Now, in part two, the Avengers must die. That's a really... We went from in time, the rushing river, to the Avengers must die. Right away, we find out that it was Scarlet Centurion who caused Wasp to fall asleep at the controls, and pretty soon we're resorting to the same fight tactics as the first annual, where they break the team up into pairs, send them off to retrieve parts of Doctor Doom's broken machine, and make them face off against their foes. First up, Hawkeye and Black Panther against Hulk and Iron Man at some sort of construction site. Hawk pulls his melt Iron Man's armor gag with the arrows and drops a girder on his head for good measure. Then he fires a sonic arrow at Hulk, which turns him back into Bruce Banner. Thanks for just standing there, T'Challa. Next up, Thor fights Captain America. Cap manages to deflect Mjolnir and then pummel Thor's face long enough to turn him back into Donald Blake. Scarlet Centurion watches on one of those ubiquitous monitors that can see everything. He is displeased. Our last fight pits Wasp against Wasp and Goliath against Goliath. While our Goliath tries to drown his busted timeline counterpart, original Wasp is defeated by the only thing sadder than a bird, a tree branch, a pen, and a door combined herself. Our heroes succeed in reassembling Doom's chrono-what's-it, but the party isn't over yet. I'm not entirely sure what happens next. I mean, there's clearly a fight, and the Scarlet Centurion pretty much zaps everyone, even encasing Cap in some sort of icicle, but then Goliath just unplugs the time machine and the bad guy fades away. We get another visit from Uatu the Watcher, who explains that the Scarlet Centurion was actually just another time-slipped version of Rama Tut, or Doctor Doom, or Kang, or all of them. I'm so confused. Popped back to their own timeline, the Avengers hop back into their arrow car and zoom off as if nothing happened. The end. Our roll call for this issue. Hawkeye, Black Panther, Wasp, Goliath, and Captain America. Our villain this time is the Scarlet Centurion, and to some degree, an alternate timeline team of the original Avengers. We also get cameos from basically every superhero and supervillain in modern Marvel's short history. There's a two-page pinup of the entire Avengers team to date, which is pretty cool. And then there's a five-page humor piece about the bullpen <laughs> called Avengers Assemble, which is truly awful. Werner Roth, who Werner helped pencil this Roth. issue. Werner Roth. He's a Nazi. He, <laughs> he was born in January of 1921. Did you say he was born in Germany? Of <laughs> January. He died in June of 1973. He didn't really do a lot of mar a lot of work for Marvel, but most of what he did for them was the X-Men, when we get to the exciting X-Men podcast or whatever we were decided to call it. I forget what it was called. Um, Examining the X-Men? Oh, I think that might have been it. We'll be seeing a lot of his work in early Silver Age uh, 
X-Men. He, he started doing westerns and Jungle Girl comics and drew romance comics for DC in the 1950s, as well as some Lois Lane comics. He's not an artist that I have particularly strong feelings about one way or the other. Mm. His art is very Silver Age. Oakley doakley. I can't believe we're back to the women's intuition stuff. That drives me crazy. Also, in the last issue, Jan wasn't going to tell the team she fell asleep, but apparently she did, because at the beginning of this issue, they all know that she fell asleep. Also, also, if they woke up and their error card disappeared, how'd they get back to New York? I, I don't... I... Uh, so I don't know, and then and, and then when it's all over and the, the Scarlet Centurion zaps away, they're back at the castle again, and their Arab cars there, and they get in it and leave. Yeah, this okay. So remember how last issue we were talking about how there were some contortions and plot contrivances. That is as nothing compared to this issue, which is all one big plot contrivance that only exists to get the Avengers from the past to fight the Avengers from the now. Which was, I mean... And when, let me tell when you... When Roy Thomas sat down and pitched this idea to Stan Lee, what, what was the hook? What's, I have a meeting to go talk on campus in 15 minutes, give me something quick. Like, I don't understand. It's not like it's a completely different team. I mean, Hank and Jan had to fight themselves, which is just lame. Well, here's the thing. You know, goodness, goodness knows I like the new Avengers, but if you take these team of five Avengers, we'll get rid of Hank and Jan because they cancel each other out. Right. So you've got... Well, Captain I pointed out, you've got you've got Black Panther fighting the Hulk. No. You've got Captain America, <laughs> Hawkeye, and the Black Panther. Three characters I like versus Hulk, Thor, and Iron Man. Now, three Hulk, of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. Hawkeye has held his own against Iron Man a couple times. Sure. But the other two pair-ups, no. There's just no way. No. I like me Captain America and Black Panther as much as anybody. But no. The, <laughs> the current Black Panther? Maybe. Because if he had time to prepare, because he's, he's thinky, Going against Hulk and sciency, so I can believe it. But he's just a person. But not this Black Panther. He doesn't. You, you know, the current Black Panther has a lot more gadgets and stuff. This Black Panther is just a dude in a skin tight leotard. It doesn't make any sense. No, it does not. We're back to Captain America's shield not being very indestructible uh, when, or being maybe I should say, very destructible. When he's holding off things at Avengers Mansion and uh, Goliath says, Cap's shield won't stop those rays for long. No, they could probably stop them all day long. Yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt them. I don't know. Does he have his actual shield yet? He should. Because I know we've had one that the living laser melted. That's true. I don't know I if still he think has he's the indestructible all... one yet. I think, he, I think he does. I mean, Black Panther's here. Isn't that where he gets his indestructible shield from? Does he? The, well, it's where the vibranium comes from. Oh, maybe you're right. I don't, I don't know the timeline um, of that. It's weird because... When we do our Captain America podcast. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about... You talked about... Or this comes up because they're trying to get an Avengers Mansion. They're being shot by things, which is so silly. Because if this is back in... Well, maybe in this maybe this timeline, uh, the Avengers do have security systems in the mansion. <laughs> right? They should have just been able to walk right in the front right? door and go up and club somebody in the back of the head. This is the first appearance of the Scarlet Centurion. Mm -hmm. We will see him again. Mm -hmm. This... Identity has been used by many different people over the years uh, in different realities. There's a Scarlet Centurion in the Squadron Supreme reality, as you probably, I'm sure, know. We'll talk about the Squadron Supreme actually coming up relatively no, soon. Mm -hmm. And, um, but uh, didn't, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Kang Sun Marcus used that uh, for a while? Probably. Use identity. And I believe the official definition of who Scarlet Centurion is, is he's another Kang. After Kang met Doctor Doom, he decided to build a suit of armor because that's not what he was wearing as Kang? Yeah, I think he actually started... Was he Kang or was he Ramatut? Oh, maybe he was Ramatut. And then as he, got, as he progressed through more modern times, he, you know, lost the loincloth and the funny hat. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> so, you mentioned this in your write-up. If, if I'm going past your notes, just let me know. You mentioned this in your write-up, but I just have to... We have to say, I think, a few words about the Herodotron. The Herodotron. It's named after Herodotus. And who's Herodotus? He is the uh, father of modern 
modern history or something? I don't know, some Greek guy that wrote stuff down. Here's what. So the Herodotron, first of all, <laughs> Hawkeye and Goliath. Act. The best name ever. The Herodotron. This Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Sunday at the Herodotron. Hawkeye and Goliath are act- acting like we should all know what the Herodotron is. First of all, Hawkeye's like, oh yeah, I heard you talking about that. No, you didn't. If Goliath is talking science stuff, Hawkeye is not paying attention. No, but it's a good point you make, because in our next episode, next week, we will talk about this very phenomenon between Goliath and Hawkeye, where Goliath is always saying, Hawkeye, remember that thing I was talking about? They, they do it again over the next two issues. It's really weird. Um, but second of all, so obviously we've never seen the Herodotron before. No, and but I actually had to look it up to see if it was a real thing, because they talk about it. Like, oh, yeah, back in 1968, I built the Herodotron. I did like, the same thing. I'm like, well, maybe this was a computer. But but once you realize what the Herodotron is for, you realize, well, no, this would never be a real thing. <laughs> no, that's stupid. Because it's not, you said it's to record all historical data. And it's to do that and then use narrative feedback to instill that knowledge in others. Right. I didn't make that up. They friggin' said it. It is an eternal film strip. Yes, I mean, the whole point of this machine is we're going to put all the historical data we can in it, and then you're going to sit there with headphones and a virtual reality thing on <laughs> and, and live history. It all to you. Yep. That's insane. And I guess, uh, well, there, as Captain America was learning things, I guess he was able, if he concentrated on a certain thing, like that piece of history would come into focus better. This is the weirdest. Is, uh, it's like a living Wikipedia. You also mentioned the double page spread of all Avengers ever. I love that. I, I want that as a print. It's funny because it's so simple now. You know, or so right. there's so much there. white space. There's so much space because you've got what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Avengers. Eleven, yeah. The only one they didn't put in there was Swordsman, who was in there for like half an issue. That's true. But you know, now it takes like three you have to make a giant poster to like hundred and thirty of them or something. To fit them all on. But yeah, it's it's funny. It was so amusing when I looked at that. I'm not sure that I particularly like that. I don't know. I couldn't figure out whose art that was because it doesn't look like Buscema to me. Maybe that's what Werner Roth did. I don't know. Some of the faces don't look right. No, like Hercules. Hercules looks really odd. And his pose... It's like he's jumping down or he from got, a ledge. Or he got punched in the stomach and is flying backwards. Yeah, it's very... Uh, and I don't know, Quicksilver looks like he's skating on his feet rather than running. and It's just a very odd... Some, some of the poses are awkward and it's composed strange, but I just like it as a piece of history. Oh, for sure, for sure. I don't understand the Avengers of this alternate timeline. They are apparently total idiots. I know that they say... Um, that they explain why, because it's wildly out of character for them to do what this, to basically do what the Scarlet Centurion suggested. Now, I recognize that they explain why he, what, hypnotized them or something into doing it. I don't know. Supposedly the Scarlet Centurion influenced the Avengers and convinced them to, it was a good idea to go around and, and basically kill everyone. But that's insane. It just doesn't make sense. You're telling me that none of these five Avengers were able to break out of this long enough to go, maybe what we're doing is a bad idea. And you really only had to convince Iron Iron Man, because the other four are pretty stupid. They're all stupid. <laughs> uh, the explanation for why Wasp fell asleep is as ludicrous as you would expect it to be. <laughs> the Scarlet Centurion whispered something to her, basically. Yeah, basically. And the book needs to stop telling us how implausible it was that Hawkeye beat the Hulk. We know it was implausible that Hawkeye beat the Hulk. I would like to know how he shoots an arrow from his bow in a straight line and it ends up going in circles around somebody's head. <laughs> how does that... Yeah. I have nothing else about the main story. Are you? No, I didn't have any notes at all. I was just hoping um, you had something to say. I think it was awful. And then we get to the Avengers Assemble at the very back. Now, the Avengers Assemble is basically the story of how Roy Thomas and John Buscema, or Don Heck, Roy Thomas and Don Heck, created the annual. And it's reminiscent. Marvel used to love to do these stories where they would get their team in, they'd draw in a funny style, 
Yeah, and they make them each into some sort of caricature of themselves. And it would be the it would be a chance to show basically the writers. Basically, it always boils down to the same thing, with the writers yelling out crazy, wacky plots to the artists who are frustrated that they have to draw so many characters and can't understand why the writers are insane. This is longer than most of them I've seen, and much less funny. It just doesn't It is not work funny at, at all. all. There's it, not one joke in there that lands. Yeah, it's so tone-deaf. Um, and I'm not... I, it's a shame, because when we do the Amazing Spider-Man podcast, there's a, <laughs> there's a great one, and I think the first Spider-Man angle, but it's like three pages long. And it's cute, and it's short, and I was disappointed by how... I kind of feel like at this point in time, Marvel may be trying too hard. What are we calling the Spider-Man podcast? <laughs> Ah, uh, I, 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 that's kind of what I, I mean, that's just me, but I kind of feel like they are. I think they promised uh, twice as many pages on the cover, and when they got done with the really dumb story, they realized, oh my god, we stretched out as far as we could, and we were still five pages short. Now, when I count characters that appear, and I, I, we talked about this, you know, we always say what characters appear in the issue. What I do is, I, and I keep a list of what characters have appeared in what issues. Yeah, you're not counting these one-panel cameos, are you? If they have a speaking role. <laughs> really? <laughs> And there are two characters this issue that have a speaking role that we have never seen before. And I just want to briefly touch on them. I think we have time. Is one of them Electro? One of them is Electro. Hey. Electro first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 9, which was in February of 1964. Electro is Max Dillon. He was a uh, worked for an electric company and was working up on a pole. Was he a scientist? No, no. He was just your typical pole jockey. I don't know what you call people that go up on poles. <laughs> sure, that sounds funny enough. On electric poles and do stuff. But he was the best in the business, but he was also a jerk. Well, then he got what he deserved. And he got hit by lightning one day, and it suddenly made him able to channel and fire electricity. And it made him really angry. So angry, he said, I'm going to put a lightning bolt on my head <laughs> and be a supervillain. He fought, he, he is a Spider-Man villain, but unlike much of Spider-Man's rogues gallery, I think Electro gets out more than a lot of them. By this point in time in his history, he'd already fought Daredevil, um, and will show up back in the Avengers in the uh, late 70s, early 80s in a couple of issues. Well, to be fair, Daredevil and Spider-Man have a lot of crossover with villains. That is true. And Electro, but see, I, I think Electro's got is powerful and has nifty powers, I think. I mean, it's costume silly, but he's got cool powers. Well, we need to explain why he's here. He's part of this cabal of supervillains that is that hasn't been defeated yet by this other timeline Avengers. It's him, Doctor Doom, Mandarin, and Doctor Octopus. Is the other one you're going to talk about? No, I wasn't because he, no, he doesn't have a speaking role. Oh, that's that's Mandarin that says something there, isn't it? It's so, but Dr. Octopus Lee just sitting there. It's like, like a guy. I hate this place. It's like the four of them trapped in a room. It's weird that they would pick those four. It really is. Like, those are the four guys that could survive an onslaught of the Avengers. Those four? Really? The other one that, that has never appeared in the Avengers before and has a speaking role this issue is Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange first appeared in Strange Tales, number 110. That was in July of 1963. Uh, this is an alternate... Well, it's an alternate universe lecture as well. Doctor Stephen Strange was a, was a arrogant but brilliant surgeon who lost control of his car one night perhaps after he'd been drinking different origins say different things and crashed his car doing damage as you would in a car crash to the nerves in his hands just his hands just just everything was else fine. fine but the nerves in his hands were destroyed and no doctor could rest could could help his hands the only doctor that could have saved his hands was himself <laughs> yes like <laughs> oh, the irony it's like a creepy or an eerie story from <laughs> Oh, or an EC comic. He he used up all of his money going to specialist after specialist. And finally, one day, with no money, destitute, drunk on the docks, he heard someone mention an ancient mystic named the Ancient One in far-off Tibet 
who could cure anything. Selling the rest of his worldly possessions, he goes to Tibet, climbs through the snow-covered mountains to the door of an ancient temple. He knocks on the door and is brought into the presence of the Ancient One. The Ancient One says, Yo, hey, I, can't, I can't help you. <laughs> and Dr. Strange says, Oh no, but I can't leave because it's all snowy. <laughs> and I don't have any money. So he's like, ah, go take a room. And while there, he finds out that the Ancient One's apprentice, Baron Mordo, is plotting against the Ancient One with the help of evil extra-dimensional entities. Baron Mordo finds out Doctor Strange knows, and he's... Is this our Doctor Strange podcast? <laughs> he slaps. Hey, I like Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, me too. He slaps a silent spell on Strange, so Strange can't tell the Ancient One what he knows. But he can um, say he'll be the Ancient One's apprentice part of the origin doesn't work very well because yeah, I never really to there, to me. I don't know why he couldn't just write it down on a piece of paper oh wait his hands didn't work <laughs> can he clop it out like a horse <laughs> trying to say how many years old he is as soon I'm going to have to do some heavy editing with I'm so sorry as soon as uh, Doctor Strange says I'll be your apprentice the ancient one says ha ha I knew Mordo was evil I'm taking away the silent spell we're kicking him out and you're all going to be my new apprentice. Yeah, that makes sense. That's Doctor Strange. We like Doctor Strange. I still don't understand how Doctor Strange casts his spells using his fingers in all those weird positions if he has all that nerve damage. You know, they've, a couple of times over the years, they've been like, well, his hands are fine now, but, you know, he doesn't want to be a surgeon anymore. <laughs> um, obviously, Doctor Strange will show up in the Avengers. Not a lot at first, but eventually he becomes a member, so yeah. way, way, way in the future. Yeah, we'll be old by the time we get to that. How true. We'll be as old as Doctor Strange. <laughs> we'll be as old as the Ancient One. So, that's all I got. Yeah. MVP? Uh, I picked you for some summarizing the issue. <laughs> I, Congratulations. I, thanks. I got. I guess I give it to Goliath again. He does something, probably. <laughs> My useless character this issue is Goliath. Nope. Maybe if he'd stop wasting his time on creating giant plot devices, he could actually upgrade the Wasp's powers. No. So her stingers I, would no. be useful. A Goliath, man, he went hardcore. He tried to drown his own... <laughs> his himself. Own yeah, it's crazy. I gave it to the Wasp again. I had to give her six in a row. She couldn't even defeat herself in that issue. That's because Hank's creating the Herodotron rather than helping her with her powers. Poor woman. Ridiculous. Avengers level threat. I mean, it's really hard to tell. If, isn't it? if we're talking about the other team, definitely they are the Avengers. They're more powerful than this team. So yes, I think definitely. If you're talking about the Scarlet Centurion, see, you always go on the historical aspect of it. I went on the actual issue, and since our team defeated this other team, I, they're not a threat. That means that any time the Avengers win, there's no Avengers level threat. Well, no, because a lot of times the, the villains will actually escape, so it's like nobody won. <laughs> if they couldn't beat them, or the, you know, we've had the issues where the teams got knocked out, and it's like a you know a carryover. You got to have the blot of the cliffhanger. In that issue, obviously they were a threat, but then you get to the second part of the cliffhanger, and you go, oh no, they weren't a threat. Never mind. Which grade you give it? I gave it a C minus. It was really long and really boring. Yeah, I'm with you. It's there's too many coincidences, too many plot contrivances. It's not satisfying. So that's two time travel <laughs> episode issues. Uh, next time though, very exciting. I'm looking forward to the next issues. I, I know I liked them more than you did, but I'm I'm looking forward to them. No, they're all right. All right, they're all right. Second they are classic. Second one was a little weird. First one's good. I like the first one. All righty then. So I don't think we have anything else, do we? Nope, that's it. So thanks for tuning in. Sorry for the illnesses. Hopefully we'll be better by next week. I'm sure we will. If we take plenty of liquids and <laughs> yeah, this is gonna linger. Oh no, my colds never last that long. My coughs always last for like a week. Uh, so maybe you know next, next episode I'll be the one coughing. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. I'm not rolling through all of our AvengingHour.com stuff because no one ever emails us. Aww. No one ever gets on our Instagram account and leaves comments. Like, people like things. There's some comments on the Instagram account. Yeah, they're mine. No. Did you say they're from me? <laughs> yeah, well, some of them are, but 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 Nate leaves comments. Nate and Jenna leaves comments. Does she? 
Uh huh. She has left a comment. Mm-hmm. As has Nate, so we've gotten comments. No emails though. Nobody ever emails us. No one gives us any ratings on iTunes. So we're on Instagram at. I'm giving up on people. At Avenging Hour. Down with people. Is it the Avenging Hour or just Avenging Hour? It's Avenging Hour. We're on Instagram at Avenging Hour. You can also find us on the Twitster at Avenging Hour. You can email us at. <laughs> See, nobody else does either. It's mail at AvengingHour.com. You think we should set up a Facebook page? I don't know. I, hey, if you want a Facebook page, email us. Let us know. I tried the. Remember, I had mentioned uh, last episode or two episodes ago that I was going to fiddle with the the, the coding on our. Uh, How'd that go? It didn't work. <laughs> so we're back to just the same one big long post with all of our episodes on it, but the newest one's at the top, so that's easy to find. Yeah, it's easy to find. Yeah. All right, that's it's it for good. this episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>